Uh, it's January 23rd already, and uh, time for the planning board meeting consent agenda. Can we get a motion on the record plat? Uh, move approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. The extension request for 8104 Woodhaven Boulevard. Uh, move approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. And the minutes from January 9th. Move approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. Moving right along to the Meadowvale preliminary plan. Mr. Leftwich. Good morning to the board. My name is Troy Leftwich. For the record, uh, Troy Leftwich with Area 2 presenting um, the Meadowvale preliminary plan amendment 1-2006-028A. Yeah, I speak a little louder, sorry. Uh, the property is located within the 1985 Gatorsburg vicinity master plan area. Um, roughly to the north of the site is the Montgomery um, County Air Park and industrial area. Um, also to the west of the site is the Strawberry Knolls um, Elementary School. Um, roughly to the south of the site, the Nike Missile uh, Local Park. Um, main corridors that bound the site is Strawberry Knowles Road, Snuffer School Road, um, Cross County um, Lane. The property itself actually is um, split zone for a portion of the site. The majority of the site is R200 TDR5. This little leg that basically bumps out towards Cross Country Lane is your R90 um, TDR5 um, area. Um, roughly the Density is being pulled from the R200 portion, which is roughly 5.5 um, 5 acres. Um, also, the site itself currently has a single-family house on the um, property and existing, um, I guess, accessory barn um, is what it looks like, and then also some additional accessory um, um, structures. Uh, the site itself currently has a Fenced, it's fenced in from the adjacent um, surrounding single-family detached homes, and there's also um, landscaping on the private property side and also the adjacent neighbors at certain portions in and around the site. Um, there is no current access to um, local Nike local access, um, Nike local park access road drive um, from the property. There's also existing um, townhouse development where the, um, later on in the next slide I'll um, break down how there's community opposition in regards of there's um, parking concerns from this development that um, there's concerns that it will spill over into this proposed development as well. Um, for the board, these are just some view, viewpoints in regards of the site visit itself. Um, View one looks directly into the property. This is where the primary access, um, new proposed access for the proposed road, um, cross country lane, just a view of the existing corridor. Um, also view three is uh, roughly to the back, um, the east side looking east from the rear of the property looking at from Nike local access drive and then view four is looking directly into um, the project. This is ideally where the proposed um, pedestrian connection would um, connect to the Nike local access drive area. 
as mentioned before, throughout. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but could right. you put up Google Maps or something? Because I'm just not really. Uh, I'm I'm just the the visuals here. I'm just afraid aren't very clear as far as what's going on with access and the different roads and what and even what you just said about the pedestrian path. Is there a better map that can show us the? Yeah, maybe maybe that. Is this one better? Uh, yeah, that's a little better. Yeah. So could you just walk walk us through that again? What you, what so uh, with the proposed um, connection, th there's currently going to be a proposed pedestrian connection um, that will connect directly to Nike Local Access Drive at this area here. The further the future, um, or later on in the presentation, there are certain slides that will break down um, the actual pedestrian connection as it relates to the alley for the townhouse area. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Um, as mentioned before, we've, we've received a number of correspondence throughout the review of the preliminary plan amendment. Um, one of the major concerns, as mentioned before, is the potential for additional on-street parking um, or concerns about additional on-street parking on cross-country lane. Um, this development itself meets the parking requirement, and the project itself um, will provide on-street parking along um, Bell Tower Drive and later slides when we go into details of the design of cross section can will break down a little bit more of the um, parking layout for the proposed development. One of the one of the additional primary concerns was also um, the park or the project utilizing access um, primary access to the Nike Missile Access Road and also staging of construction. Um, the Parks Department itself provided a memo that was providing a report, but they did not support either request, mainly because of the private development, um, not allowing private development to utilize park property or access roads for access or staging. And they felt that in this particular scenario that they had um, ample opportunity from the public roads. And then also there was concerns in regards of maintenance and uh, wear and tear in regards of um, the park road for primary use, and then also a staging for the equipment. Could, could you just go back to the map again and just yeah. point out what, what we're talking about here? So um, Nike Missile Local Park Access Drive goes, the only access to the, from Snuffer School Road, basically the, re, the single family development itself um, on both sides of Nike Missile Access Road, or Drive, sorry. Um, all these residential properties back to these prop, backs, backs to Nike Missile Access Drive. The only connection, um, public connection exists currently is um, Calypso Lane, which is roughly here. And I have a further slide that talks about that connection in those viewpoints. Um, so when through the review, um, there was discussions about utilizing this as the primary access to the development and not extending the connection through Bell Tower Drive. Um, and so through that review process, reached out to Parks and had a discussion with Parks and um, they expressed their concerns in regards of the extension of, or the length of the Nike Missile um, local park um, and the utilization of the construction equipment and just primary access happening from this um, subject property when there was other closer connections from the public right away. So basically it's a long park driveway right now. Correct, yes. Yeah. And the, so the request was both for staging and, uh, and construction, but also permanent access as opposed to the connection through the property. Correct. Okay, got it. Thank you. 
Uh, uh, additionally, uh, in regards of the final, or not final, but uh, um, other communal, community opposition or concerns was the need of maintenance and repair for a cross-country lane. Um, throughout the site visits, um, staff did not necessarily identify any major concerns that uh, poked out in regards of um, the maintenance of the road, but um, not being an expert in road maintenance, um, we also uh, referred them to the Montgomery County Department of Transportation and Department of um, Permitting Services to put in a request for maintenance um, in regards that they saw fit. With the development itself, uh, the original approval was approved in September of 2017. The current proposal and this proposal has similar access um, in regards of the design of Bell Tower Drive with the 60-foot right-of-way. Um, major differences between this proposal um, and the proposed proposal is pro they provided a total of um, 10 single-family detached lots. The plan was never uh, platted or recorded. Um, also, the existing house is being retained as part of the proposal, but in this scenario, it was being uh, raised. And also, the plan expired. This plan expired in October um, of 2018. Um, just a, a quick bullet before we go into the the, the proposal itself um, in regards to public benefits. The project will provide um, new public street connections, new pedestrian connections. There's uh, common open space being provided associated with development. The development itself has to utilize nine TDRs to reach the proposed density concerns or um, requirement. And then there's also two category, um, two conservation easements being provided as well. And they're provided a mix of two unit types within the development itself. Um, the proposal itself is a total of 19 units. They are subdividing the property into 11 lots for townhouses, sits roughly to the uh, east of Bell Tower uh, Road. The, they're also proposing eight, eight lots of single um, family detached units. One is existing, um, the existing house identified here on the right side. The, the majority of your single family homes will be on, new single family homes will be on the west side of Bell Tower Drive. Um, as mentioned before, they have to purchase nine TDRs to reach the 19-unit um, density threshold. The master plan has a unit yield for this property of 25 units, so they're um, well under the proposed um, 25 units by providing 19. There's also <coughs> um, excuse me, um, two category um, forest conservation easements. Uh, one is approximately 4.7 acres, uh, the other is 0.3 acres, um, identified roughly on the east side of the property adjacent to Nike Missile um, Local Park Drive. Um, and as mentioned before, so along with Bell Tower Drive, there's an alley network that's um, rear loaded towns that front on green, um, a green space, and then there's also this proposed um, pedestrian connection would be further identified and designed at um, site plan, but ideally um, the location will be recorded as part of the preliminary plan itself. Uh, one thing to note, um, well actually the next, yeah, the next slide actually will um, go into a little bit more detail of the road design and space in itself. Uh, Bell Tower Drive uh, is a 60-foot right-of-way, uh, will provide two-way drive, 
um, drive aisles and also um, on street parking on the left side. The left side of the Bell Tower Drive is the ones adjacent to the single family residence. And there also will be a, a green panel um, that will provide a lay of trees and also um, two pedestrian sidewalks on, on both sides of the corridor. The two basic horseshoe alley, um, private alley um, design, the residential for the single family homes will provide a 60 foot uh, two way drive also pedestrian sidewalk, um, green panel with a lay of trees, and also we centered on a common green area. The townhouse themselves, um, as mentioned before, will have a, a horseshoe design alley connection with rear loaded um, garage access and will front on green, um, as mentioned before. Uh, even though the project itself is, um, we're at the preliminary plan stage, the single family lots, the actual configuration of or design of those homes is um, conceptual in this view, but there is opportunity for additional parking to occur within the driveways of these single family homes. So in lieu of the actual parking requirement, there's additional parking within the design of the lots, and then also the on-street parking being provided within um, the, the design of Bell Tower Drive. Um, in regards of the pedestrian pathway, it's mainly broken down um, into two scenarios. The site itself, the subject property itself will provide a, a side path from the alley network of the townhouses to Nike Missile Access Drive um, along inside Parcel B. This will connect um, to the Nike Missile local park. Um, ideally, what we saw that this is an opportunity to promote pedestrian connections uh, within this project and within the neighborhood itself. So um, planning staff recommended a condition in regards of creating a, a path that would extend down to Nike, Nike Missile um, Park itself. Um, the details of that actual proposal will be worked out at site plan. There's also a condition in regards of um, Calypso Lane that they should work with the bikeway um, planning staff. That's condition number 11 in regards to providing a connection um, in regards of bikeway access to Nike Missile Park along Calypso Lane. View one and two is looks roughly to the west of Calypso Lane from Nike Missile Access Drive. Um, and view three is um, the view to the east of Nike Missile Access Drive um, facing Calypso Lane. Uh, one of the major benefits of providing the pedestrian connection on the site to um, Nike Missile Access Drive would be to, there's great challenges in regards of Calypso Lane. Um, as you can see, there's stairs that actually goes down to, um, with the grade chains to make up the difference. So if you have any mobility issues, uh, there's a better grade connection at from the subject property to Nike Missile uh, Park accessing Nike Missile um, Drive from the basically west of the single family development um, for the for the entire neighborhood. As part of the forest conservation plan, um, there was a variance request submitted November the 11th, um, 2019. There's five trees impacted four trees to be removed, uh, one tree to be remained. Um, the one tree to 
will be remained is roughly um, sits in the rear of the existing um, house itself and staff recommends approval of the variance request. As part of the TDR component of um, purchasing nine TDRs, it required the development to utilize the R60 zone NPDU optional method development standards. Um, this project meets all the requirements of the R60 uh, development standards. They're providing 2% more of the common open space that's required over 20% um, is required. They're providing 22%. And um, overall, the development meets the standards um, in regards of the, the findings and um, adequate public facilities for this proposal under the R60 um, zone. At this point, um, staff recommends approval with conditions that contained in staff report. Okay, uh, I think it might be best to hear from some of the other folks come testify before we hear from the applicant. Could we get Susan Kleinman, Denise Lewinsky, and William Vanderweel? Are they here? Come on up. You can sit right next to the these gentlemen. The the mics are are wireless, so you can pull them close. Um, are you Ms. Kleinman? You're signed up first, so if you want to just press the if you want to just press the button on that mic until it turns red, there you go. Okay, and, and, I, it, and it helps if you kind of put it a little closer next to you, like you put it there to your right, and very good. Okay, I Thank am you. the board president of Meadowvale Homeowners Association. Uh, I also happen to live on Calypso Lane, which I just noticed for the first time might be impacted by this development. Um, so you have a little bit of history of our, our association. We're about 40 years old. Many, many, many of the homeowners are original to the development. We've lived there for 35 years. We have 123 single-family homes and 169 townhomes already. Um, this site is a donut hole in the middle of two, two homeowners associations. And I will start with the pictures they just put up there don't begin to touch what our neighborhood really looks like. Every picture has no cars in it on the main streets. It doesn't show you the congestion that's already in there. It doesn't really show you the roads. It doesn't really give you clear act, clear visual picture of the access to the site. In order to get to the site, you have to come halfway through our development and turn left to get back into that site. So that means that you're putting construction vehicles on roads that can't even fit two cars side by side down it already. That said, the issues we've addressed are, A, the school overcrowding. We feed into Strawberry Knoll Elementary School, which right now is at 150% capacity at least. There's 11 portables on it. Uh, it's a walking school. So all these kids are walking down these roads every morning to get to school. I mean, you can't even move in the morning as it is. There is a proposal for a new elementary school up in our cluster, which is to be sited initially at Kelly Park, but that has not been agreed upon because there is an organization fighting that school being placed in Kelly Park, and that is the city of Gaithersburg property, and they have not yet reached agreement with Montgomery County Public Schools to allow them use to rent the space, to sell the space. In addition, in prior meetings we've attended, there's no boundaries being given as to who's going to feed into that new elementary school. So there's no certainty that the overcrowding in Strawberry Knoll would be relieved to begin with. 
I might also add that they're currently constructing 18 single-family homes off of Traxel and Strawberry Knoll Road, which are all going to feed into Strawberry Knoll, <clears throat> excuse me, Elementary School, Gaithersburg Middle, and Gaithersburg High School. Condition of roads. Um, I realize that they went out and looked at our roads and they're not road experts, but let me just tell you that they have not paved cross-country lane or any of our roads in 34 years. So they have fixed a few potholes. We have some sewers that are sinking on the side. We have uh, crosswalks at the end of each end of our development that are faded out. We have called them. We have asked for some attention to it. And I find it very ironic that the park and planning says you can't use their road because the it can't bear the construction traffic. It, it's okay for our road, which is a local small road, to be able to accommodate this traffic coming through with heavy-duty vehicles. I, I don't get that. Um, parking. We have terrible parking issues already in our, in our development, which we're trying to tackle a little at a time. But I don't really feel, based on their plan, that there's adequate parking. I mean, they have some parking by their single families on one side. The townhouses as described to us are garaged, but they're small townhouses. There is no parking. There's no visitor parking. Nothing. It has, the cars have to go somewhere. I mean, and the reality is you're putting families in these homes. So probably you're looking at two to three cars per household. Two minimum, three, as we found out in our neighborhood as kids grow. Siting of the homes. All these homes are sited toward in the backyards of our existing homes. The townhouses being built literally are in the backyards of neighbors' homes who have been there for 35 years. And from what we can tell, there's very little barrier, and the, and the proposal for the trees is three inches, which is a twig. I mean, three inches hides nothing. Um, construction. During construction, where are the construction personnel going to park? What is the time constraints on the construction? Do we have to wake up at 7 in the morning on a Saturday morning to listen to construction trucks? Lastly, <clears throat> the developer sitting here, we feel like he has been, they've been extremely evasive with questions we've asked. We've asked about the size of the houses. They don't know. We've asked about parking. We get kind of a, well, we have this one site on the road. We've asked why the existing house is being maintained on that property. No one has given us an answer. No one will give us an answer. And I think that's something we're entitled to know because that existing house sitting there changes or impacts the whole layout of where these homes can be built. I mean, the original proposal when this was a first approved many years ago was for, I believe it was 11 to 13 single-family homes, which I, honestly, the single families would have a lot less of an impact visually and would fit in much better in the site that they're, that they're planning but still brings with it the same questions of how are you going to access it and where's the construction equipment going to go. So that is my little spiel in a, nut, in a nutshell. And I will pass it to... Okay. Uh, you must be Mr. Vanderweel. I take it Denise Lewinsky's not here. Yes, she's Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to overlook you. Uh, we, I, I had you up next. Would you like to go next? Or? Sure. It's up to you. Just pull that close and hit the button. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I'm Denise Lewinsky, and I'm a resident of Meadowvale. Um, I'm a newcomer. I've only been there 15 years. So um, I want to thank the planning staff for all the help they've given us over the last couple of years in understanding zoning requirements and procedures and so on and what to do next. 
Um, and I'd also like to thank you, the board, for giving us this opportunity to voice our concerns about what's going on. Um, because it's not just about zoning regulations and so on. It's about the quality of life in our community. I've got two major concerns. One is the safety of the roadways, and the other one is the overcapacity of our schools. You know, cross-country lane, I don't know if you could see from these maps, is a semicircle connecting to two sides of Strawberry Knoll. Um, uh, vehicles from all 300-plus residences have to travel in and out via cross-country lane to get to their homes. Now, the townhouses have at least one reserved spot for them. And there are a few other spots available in their courts and streets for um, visitors and extra vehicles. Um, most homes now have more than one car, and a lot of the cars and visitors are parking on cross-country lane. So um, the townhouse units um, really have uh, you know, more need for parking, but there's no place to go. Um, the road is in disrepair. Um, it's a very narrow passage. Uh, due to all the parked cars. Emergency vehicles have difficulty getting through cross-country lane. Um, so it's really pretty scary about what's going to happen. Um, it's dangerous for pedestrians and especially children that run across the street and pets. Um, the road has not been paved in over 20 years. Uh, I actually called the Department of Transportation I guess earlier in the summer, and they said they only had one paver for the county available, and um, it was busy on other county roads. Um, so they come out and they patch the patches, and that still leaves a lot of gravel and potholes and so on. So it'll just take this winter, and it'll be really messy again. Um, the transportation report in your package there says that a traffic study wasn't necessary because it would generate fewer than 50-person round trips. Well, we're already over capacity, so one more person round trip is, is just too much. Um, and then also speaking of over capacity, my second concern is the schools. Um, as Susie mentioned, uh, Strawberry Knoll Elementary is over 154% um, over capacity. Um, there are a lot of trailers there in the mornings, in the evenings, when school's going in and out. There's parking on both sides of the roads and parking lots. And we've got a crossing guard there that's been there since the beginning of time. And she and the staff of the school monitor it very closely, being very, very careful. But it, it's really possible to have, you know, a serious accident there. And that's, and that's scary. Um, the moratorium on new housing development was lifted, lifted about a year ago. Um, but, and so because funds were approved for a new elementary school, but there's a lot of contentious discussion going on, except for me, um, to, um, you know, find a site. So there's no building going to happen in the near future. Um, all the elementary schools in the Gaithersburg cluster are over capacity, except for one. Um, and I don't understand why Montgomery County this continues to go on. It's just not acceptable. Um, so I'm asking the board here to refuse approval of the preliminary plans and unless conditions of delaying building until a new elementary school is built and until um, conditions on the road can be improved and also just have an ingress and egress from this new site um, other than cross-country lane. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Vanderweel. Yes, sir. I guess my light should be on. There we go. Okay. 
Chairman Anderson and uh, members of the board, good morning. My name is William Vanderweel. Uh, I have been a Meadowvale resident uh, for almost 40 years. I am here today to register my adamant opposition to the Meadowvale plan. From the outset of this proposed development, we feel that we have been virtually ignored and our concerns have been pushed aside. From the first community meeting held by the developer to our recent meeting with staff, the developer was reluctant to inform us of who was involved, uh, what they had done in the past, and tried to hide the fact that one of the owners was his wife. He would not provide information about his background in building communities and his plans for the future. Rather than listen to our concerns and suggestions, he tried at that meeting and subsequent meetings to force feed his proposal on us. And after meeting with staff recently, I came away with the feeling that our concerns were, were not addressed and we were really just a bump in a road to the rubber stamp approval. While the staff has recommended approval with conditions, our concerns are still not taken into consideration. While there are numerous concerns from my Meadowvale neighborhood, because of the time constraints today, uh, I shall have to limit my uh, area of concern to the ingress and egress uh, for any proposed development of the Heinz property. The only acceptable ingress-egress would be using the Nike Missile Road site. With very little modification, it makes perfect sense to flow the traffic of any development in and out that way. As mentioned before, cross-country lane is a nightmare to navigate. At night coming into Meadowvale, one must squeeze through, sometimes on a single lane. The right side of the road coming in is packed with vehicles and people often park on the left side also, making it almost impossible to get through. And I doubt that an emergency vehicle could get through. This development just adds more traffic to that. I realize that staff has said there is no precedent to facilitate a public developer builder using a, a public park road. And I say just because it hasn't been done in the past doesn't mean it can't not be done here. After all, somebody has to be first. There was also a staff concern regarding, regarding maintenance and wear and tear on the Nike Missile Road if, if that was done. The answer to that concern is very simple. Make the developer and the builder responsible for any future maintenance on the road. And that would include snow removal, uh, they can put the funds in escrow, uh, and that would take care of it. And using the Nike Missile Road not only makes sense, but it preserves the integrity of the Meadowvale neighborhood. And while I disagree with the proposed development, if there is to be any development on the Heinz property, I would strongly urge that all of us work together for the best possible solution for everyone. I would ask the board that before you make a final decision, that all of you come out and visit our neighborhood. See what we are talking about. Walk the streets. Look at Cross Country Lane. Look at where the development could be. Look at the ingress and egress. And I think that you'll see our concerns are justified. I again repeat my strong opposition to the proposed development, and I urge the board to deny. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Klein, did you want to say anything before we look for questions from... Uh Board members, or well, I don't want to throw the good morning uh, for the record. Jody Klein representing the applicant in this case. Uh, sure, Mr. Wang and I would love to kind of brag about the project, what it looks like today compared to where we started, but um, I don't want to put you behind on your first agenda item. Um, there have been a lot of iterations in the design, uh, the plan. Um, Mr. Lefwich is actually the third reviewer who's worked on it, it's been around here that long. Um, 
But I did want to compliment the staff for the patience in working with us on those iterations, and particularly the creative design suggestions that came from uh, Atul Sharma, which I think has resulted in coming up with a proposal that is not a conventional suburban subdivision. I think it's going to be very attractive and a quality development in the neighborhood. Um, as you can see, there is friction between the applicant and the, um, and the, or the applicant in the neighborhood. Um, I wanted to say one thing. When I met with the community and I told Mr. Vanderwell I'd do this, uh, I did contact the Parks Department, and my proposal about Nike Park Road was not to be at the permanent point of access. I didn't see you doing that, nor did I see any staging of equipment set out on the road. However, to try and minimize the point of friction of the construction traffic coming into the community during the construction phase, I thought that might be reasonable if we could come up with a schedule that didn't conflict with your activities and a maintenance program if there was any damage to the road. So the applicant would, would love to be able to bring its trucks in while it's building the houses off Nike Park Road. Um, and I, I throw that as, as a less, as a not as broad an option as the, the neighbors have suggested, but one that we would be willing to consider. Um, all the conditions are acceptable to the applicant. As I said, I think you're going to get a very high quality suburban development because of the input from the staff. And we would uh, ask you to approve it with the conditions as uh, recommended. Thank you. Any uh, questions, comments? Yeah, just uh, consultation uh, staff with the Parks Department on the utilization of the road, Nike Road. Mr. Quattrochi. Uh, good morning, Chairman, Commissioners. For the record, Dominic Quattrochi with the Department of Parks. Um, can you ask your question again? I'm uh, yes, they offered to uh, utilize the Nike Road as access, and if it's damaged by any construction trucks, the road, I'm, I don't know whether it's gravel now or paved, uh, they said they would uh, repair that uh, as they vacate the site completion of their work, that they would yeah. put it back. There's also a trail that's proposed there, and uh, I don't know what the foundation of the trail would be. Maybe it would accommodate construction trucks as well on an interim basis. Okay. Um, we, uh, we did look at, at the option Mr. Klein um, suggested and a number of other options. Um, we felt the, uh, the, the long linear access road that uh, accesses the core area of the park amenities is over a half mile in length and is currently used by park users to sort of walk their dogs, recreate, to sort of go from the court area all the way up to Snopper School Road and back. Uh, the road is an asphalt road between 18 and 24 feet in paving. Uh, our operational staff, our park managers, were very uncomfortable with construction traffic going up and down that pathway and potentially being in conflict with park users that use that for their recreation and we also thought that there would be reasonable area within the private subject property at Meadowvale for staging um, purposes um, and that there would be room to work with on the private development for those purposes. Yeah, I, I would say that in a case where there was no other construction access possible that probably, you know, that would be a different story. But I would want, you know, if, you know, DPS or DOT had said, you know, we think that it's hazardous or just not practicable to use um, 
uh, cross country to, to get in there, then I would say uh, I would I would think that's reasonable for parks to accommodate construction access. I don't think in any event I would support uh, permanent access from the park road unless it were part of a plan to connect the street grid through the site with it to include the bell tower extension and create another access point, which again, I wouldn't say never, but definitely not as an alternative to the access that they're proposing. As far as uh, permanent access along, along cross country, you know, we have rules that govern what the traffic standards are. If DPS or DOT ex express some concern about uh, on-street parking or, well, for one thing, it seems to me that if it's hazardous for, if you can't get an emergency vehicle down there now, then DOT or DPS could look at, at prohibiting on-street parking, at least on one side of the street, to provide better access because that would be hazardous today, no less than it would be uh, with the 19 additional uh, units. But I don't see any basis to uh, interject our judgment into what's basically an operational issue for the transportation uh, and permitting agencies to, to deal with. Uh, other than that, I just, I, I think this is an approvable project. It meets the code, parking standards. Um, I don't see any basis to, to deny this. So, uh, unless you have another No, yeah, I have another question. question. And that, that is the uh, Bell Tower Drive, uh, presently the existing home uh, accesses to cross country lane in terms of the traffic analysis, uh, the continuation or the connection of Bell Tower Drive. I don't know what the concern of the people up on there would be to have that a through street. That would become a through street, and the traffic analysis indicates that it is good to connect the country lane or not. I mean, it could be cul-de-sac, or has that issue been raised? Uh, the issue had not been raised. We hadn't hadn't heard about um, that. Uh, you know the the. I don't know if a specific resident had said anything about that, but um, in general, I know the... No, I mean, not the re resident so much as just the, is that connection. Oh, the agencies themselves? Did the MCDOT no, no, so say the agency, that connection that's the, was... That's one of the best things about the project. No, uh, uh, correct. The agencies did not have uh, concern um, about that. They did review this application again, uh, just like the previous one that had been approved in, uh, yeah, the the radius, et cetera, had been approved by uh, MCDOT. But that would seem that some access would be taken off of uh, cross-country lane and, and access would be shared between, you know, so 11 units, half coming in yeah, one way and half coming in the other It builds in redundancy, which is Correct. kind of the, right. that's the benefit. All right. Okay, that's all the questions I have. Thank you. Uh, does anybody want to make a motion? Uh, I'll make a motion to approve as recommended by staff. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. Thank you.
Good morning. For the record, Sandra Pereira, Area 3 Regulatory Supervisor. I'm here today presenting St. Anne's Episcopal Church Preliminary Plan Number 1-2018-0230 on behalf of Ryan Sigworth, who was the lead reviewer for this application but is not able to be here today. This application is for two lots, one for an existing religious assembly and one family residential use, and another lot for a proposed 76 multifamily independent senior living facility. And staff recommends approval of this application. So um, to tell you a little bit more about the site where it's located, um, it's shown in red on this image, and it is abutting uh, Ridge Road, Maryland Route 27. It's also located a mile and a half south of Main Street in Damascus. And um, John T. Baker Middle School is located just to the northwest of the site. Um, surrounding this property, there is one-family homes um, to the south and to the west in the R200 zone. And the Green Hills Apartments and Townhomes to the east across Ridge Road um, in the RT 12.5 zone. The site is a total of 10.49 acres, is in the R200 zone, and is currently developed with a religious assembly here, as well as a residence operated by the church. The site is located within the 2006 Damascus Master Plan area, and uh, the existing access is off of Ridge Road uh, via a driveway that serves all the existing uses. Um, just um, please note that I uh, just want to highlight there's some steep slopes along the frontage of the property on Ridge Road as well as vegetation which you'll see a little bit more on the um, upcoming slides. Um, you might recall this application from a couple months ago. We were before you with a conditional use application number CU18-11. This was um, an application, a conditional use only for the independent living facility uh, for persons, for seniors or persons with disabilities in a 76 unit multifamily building. And the application, the conditional use application was only 3.44 acres of the total site is highlighted in blue on this image here. That was the um, uh, conditional use application. There was also a final FCP approved in conjunction with the sediment control plan 2002-011, approved back in June 2002 for the construction of an expansion to the church. The conservation easements were never recorded. However, the conditional use application that you saw recently required that the final FCP be revised as part of this preliminary, preliminary plan application that's before us today. So with that, the preliminary plan is proposing two lots, as I mentioned earlier, the first lot for the existing church 
and the existing home, and then another lot for the proposed senior um, senior um, housing building. Um, the building is a four-story building with 73,000 square feet, and it will um, accommodate 76 multifamily independent senior living units. Access is going to be maintained off of uh, Maryland Route 27, Ridge Road. Sorry, there's a typo here. It's not 28, it's 20, Maryland 27. And um, the access uh, will then provide, um, provide access to the parking areas um, throughout the site. This proposal conforms with uh, the Mascus Master Plan. There are uh, recommendations to provide a variety of housing options, including affordable housing and housing opportunities for seniors suitable to the small town, small town character of Damascus. This is in page 43 of the master plan. And also the Ridge Road South neighborhood has specific recommendations which say the R200 zone is proposed in this neighborhood located along the west side of Ridge Road between Bethesda Church Road and Oak Drive. Although few properties without homes remain, some lots are large enough that some redevelopment might occur. This is on page 25. Um, as far as frontage improvements, uh, the 2018 Bicycle Master Plan recommends a 10-foot wide shared use path across the frontage of the property. Um, this is, these are pictures of the frontage of the property, and as you can note, there are steep slopes um, all across the frontage, as well as um, lots of existing vegetation. So uh, the implementation of this um, uh, recommendation in the Bicycle Master Plan would require significant grading um, as well as uh, significant retaining walls um, between 15 and 20 feet in height um, along the entire frontage just to accommodate the bike path as well as um, the necessary stormwater management facilities that have to be um, installed for the, for the bike path. So um, these improvements were deemed um, unreasonably high from both from a, an environmental impact as well as from a financial impact on this project. Uh, just a question, the by, you said bypass, could you clarify bypass of what or what is it? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I said bike path. Bike path, okay. Sorry about that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Thanks for clarifying. Um, so um, therefore, it was agreed in coordination with DOT, MCDOT that the applicant would make a financial contribution into an existing CIP fund for infrastructure improvements in the Damascus master plan area. And specifically, there's a specific CIP that uh, the applicant is contributing to. This application, this application generates fewer than 50-person trips during the peak morning and afternoon periods, so no traffic study was required. The existing right-of-way meets master plan recommendations, so no additional right-of-way is um, necessary for dedication. The property will be served by public water and sewer, and the proposal meets from water management requirements as indicated in the um, MC. Um, DPS stormwater management concept approval. This meets all the requirements for fire access and water supply and school facilities test uh, was not required because the applicant, 
application does not generate any school-aged children. Um, the application is amending the final forest conservation plan, as I mentioned early, earlier, uh, which was approved as part of the sediment control plan 2002-011. Um, and essentially, um, the amendment is just reconfiguring the location of the forest conservation easements that were approved before. Um, those were never recorded, so we're just reconfiguring the location. And you can see in this image that um, the red is showing, the red areas are showing the areas that the easement is going to be removed. And um, the dark green is showing where we are adding easement so that the net total amount of forest conservation easements is the same um, as previously approved. So we had 2.35 acres previously approved. Um, and, and protected as part of conservation easements, and now we still have 2.35 acres um, um, being protected as part of conservation easements with the Forest Conservation Plan Amendment 1-2018-0230. So in summary, this application conforms with the 2006 Damascus Master Plan recommendations um, specifically for affordable housing and senior affordable housing. Um, this application meets public, um, has adequate public facilities, and um, this application complies with all the provisions of the subdivision regulations. The lots are appropriate with respect to size, shape, width, and orientation for the proposed uses, and the application complies with the Chapter 22A requirements of the Forest Conservation Law. Um, this, this application meets all the requirements of the R200 zone. Um, also wanted to highlight that we received two letters from um, concerned citizens. One of the letters spoke about backyard views uh, from the surrounding residential properties. And um, th this was specifically a neighbor to um, behind the church property. However, as we explained to the neighbor, due to the existing topography, and the fact that this property is significantly lower than their property, the buildings proposed are not that visible from their backyard. Um, there was also a neighbor that we, uh, that the applicant reached out about um, the possibility to have a pedestrian connection over uh, private property, but the answer was no, um, they were not uh, willing to entertain that. So that was, that was the end of that. So in conclusion, staff recommends approval with the conditions outlined in the staff report for the St. Anne's Episcopal Church, preliminary plan number 1-2018-0230, in adoption of the resolution. Thank you, and we will answer any questions that you might have at this time. Uh, before I get to the applicant, um, could you explain what's going on with this? I, I understand this rationale is just expensive to build the bike facility on... Um, on the frontage, but is there some other route that's been identified, or is it just we're going to say they should pay some money into some improvement? I mean, this staff report seems a little vague on. I mean, I think it's important that connection be made, and I'm a little bit concerned about just saying, well, it's too expensive here, so let's just pay into some fund, and maybe there'll be some bike improvement somewhere else. Right. The uh, on the slide that you see before you. Uh, Chairman, the uh, project is a capital project for a bike a sidewalk uh, from uh, on 27 partially, but most importantly, it's on Oak Drive. Um, 
what you should know about Oak Drive, and I'm going to add a little bit of personal knowledge of this area. My daughter went to Baker Middle School, which is located on Oak Drive. Adjacent to Baker Middle School is the Damascus Recreation Center. There are no sidewalks currently on Oak Drive, so none of the um, students in the area, and there are quite a few, uh, cannot walk or bike to Baker Middle School safely. Um, this is, in my opinion, a very important capital project to get a, a bicycle or a sidewalk on Oak Drive, uh, which is a primary residential street and currently very unsafe for uh, pedestrians or bicyclists to, to do uh, access the school and um, the recreation center. Okay, but I don't understand what, what, what's, first of all, is there actually a CIP project to build what you're talking about? And secondly, what is the, what is the alignment of that? Project. So the answer is yes, there is a current CIP project to, to build that um, improvement, pedestrian improvement. The, just for orientation, the site is located along Ridge Road here. Um, on this image, north is up. And in pink is the Oak Drive CIP project um, area. On this other image to the left um, is oriented the other way. North is to the right of the image. The project, the subject property is here, and behind it is Oak Drive that we were just describing. So um, the applicant is contributing towards that CIP for the construction of um, that, that improvement. Is, are, the, are the grades uh, on uh, 27, the, is there a steep grade and the grade in the back is easier for a bike? Yes, sir. Uh, I, I went out to the site and took some pictures. Here's a video. We're standing on the subject property looking down some 40 feet down to Maryland 27, and it is excessively steep. Uh, we talked about 25% slopes being I estimate these slopes to be 40 to 50%, almost a 45 degree angle. And is there a, there's a shoulder on uh, 27 there? There is a current. Uh, shoulder use signed bike path on this state highway. Um, there's a picture in your staff report uh, of that signage. I drove it the other day. It continues in each direction from the subject property approximately two miles to the south and uh, not very far to the north to be honest with you. Um, but it is paved, it is smooth, it is painted in certain portions, discontinuous. Um, but quite frankly, there is a uh, at least a five-foot paved shoulder, minimum five-foot paved shoulder from this property all the way to Germantown Mostan Center on Maryland 27, um, actually down to Ridge Road near near Milestone. Well, I, I mean, can we just say the map again? I mean, I guess if you're talking about what is the Oak Drive project? Is this a separated bike lane, or is this a this sidewalk, or what? I believe it's a sidewalk. Yeah, see, I, I'm not really um, particularly receptive to this proposal because I could sort of see, you know, if you said we're giving up on Ridge Road ever and we should have an alternative-like route around it for bikes, I could get behind that. But what you said in the staff report is, Pay, have them pay like the average cost of separated, you know, bike facility on this, and then put in a future CIP. That's never going to happen. 
I mean, I just don't see that. That's like fictitious. So I'm not really okay with this proposal for a sidewalk on Oak Drive, which is not a bike facility. I mean, right. I mean, basically what we're doing, if we prove this as you've proposed, we're basically saying there's not gonna be a bike connection and Ridge Road is terrifying. I've ridden a bicycle down Ridge Road and there's, it's important because there's access to the Margarita Branch Trail, which runs north south, you can get all the way, in fact, you can go all the way to um, Watkins Mill Road, even beyond, you can get to 355 on that, on that uh, trail that comes down from the Magruder Branch, Magruder Branch comes trail. to Seneca Greenway. I, I was just on it uh, last weekend on the southern end down near uh, Montgomery, Montgomery Village. So that's a problem to not have that connection. I just think like saying, put it a future SAP is just like not real. I just think there's got to be a better way to, uh, there has to be some way to have some bike accommodations. And if, and if what you're saying is we give up on Ridge Road ever having a safe connection, then we should say that and find another one. Perhaps meaning route the bikes on Oak Drive in this section, but I just am not, I'm not going for let's build a sidewalk and call it a day. That doesn't work. Well, could we, for the record, Gwen Wright, uh, planning director, could we talk to DOT about the Oak Drive CIP project and say, you know, can they make that <coughs> a little wider and make it a shared use path rather than a, just a pure sidewalk so that it would have some bike accommodation as well? I mean, I don't know the details of this CIP, would but Mr. there- Would Mr. Van Alstein have any details? Um, he might be able to add, but if we are essentially um, creating a safer environment for kids to walk to school, they might also want to bike to school and maybe it needs to be a, a shared use. Uh, for the record, Chris Van Alstein, transportation reviewer. Uh, this, it's a fairly late stage of this, of this project, so they, I, I believe that they're gonna be either doing construction now or, or imminently. Uh, so doing, switching to a bike path would be a pretty significant change that I'm not sure they'd be able to accommodate. Uh, we, we can reach out to them. Um, I just, I can't guarantee any success in uh, achieving that. Is it a typical five foot sidewalk or what, what, what is the project? Uh, I don't know the exact width, but it, it would be, it's a typical sidewalk. Yeah, it's at a minimum five feet. The other feet. problem I have with this approach is, if every time somebody has a, a you know, more expensive than average bike facility design and, and, and our position is, well, just pay us whatever the average cost is, there's, that's, that's half of the bike projects are gonna be above the average cost. So that's not a, I don't, I don't support that, that approach as a precedent. Like we gotta, you know, if it were so, for some reason impossible, I actually, looking at the grade, I don't, I don't really see it as impossible. Yeah, there's a steep slope there, but right next to the road, you, I don't see why you don't have some room to work with that. So I'm, I'm not sure where that leaves us, but I, I'm not, I, I categorically reject the idea that it's okay to say the kids need a safe route to school to walk over on Oak Ridge, so that's a substitute for the bike facility's master plan that's on their frontage. I can't, I can't do that. 
Mr. Chairman, uh, Jody Klein, representing the applicant. Uh, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, what I'd like to do is let Mr. Jones kind of give you a little bit more detail of what I'll say across sections so have a little bit better. This was not an economic issue from us. It was more of a construction problem with it. Um, but I'm also, um, at the end, thinking of maybe a condition that allows us to continue to work with some other bike path routing so that that money does go to something productive rather than just the sidewalk I understand. But I'd like Mr. Jones to explain why we want, why we came and said we just really don't think this works. Mr. Jones? Uh, for the record, Ken Jones with MHG, civil engineer for the project. Uh, we certainly looked at, obviously it's in the bikeway master plan, we looked at implementing the, the 10 foot wide path um, in the review process. I did cross sections along that slope that show, you know, how, what it would take, how high the walls would be and looking at the feasibility of what it would be, you know, basically from the center line of Ridge Road all the way up to the site. I think the thing that, and this is referenced by staff in their report, the thing to remember too is it's not just 10 feet that we need to carve out in order for a bike path. It's in the SHA right-of-way, so they're going to require that stormwater management be made part of that to manage the 10 feet wide of impervious that you have. So now you're going to introduce a swale most likely between the edge of the shoulder, which can't be reduced because the shoulder is needed for traffic reasons. So you have a shoulder coming off of that down to a swale, back up again, 10 foot wide side path, and you have a retaining wall, so we need to provide some buffer between it uh, and the path itself. Give us a sense path. of magnitude of the retaining walls, do you remember? Um, it's, it's in the ballpark of 10 feet, there's some variability around the site. Um, I think the staff report mentioned some higher numbers than that from my recollection, from my analysis, was anything like that, 10 feet across the entire frontage or some variability. Well, I mean, that's, all I can tell you is a lot of those issues are true of every bike facility. You add pavement, they're going to say, oh, it's got to have stormwater. I get it that there's a grade issue, sort of. You have some shoulder to work with. You could look at a protected bike lane like what we're, Parks Department's asking SHA, and it looks like we get permission to construct a protected bikeway with pylons on Beers Mill Road to connect that Twinbrook trail that was built as part of the JBG project of, a few years ago. And because mm -hmm. there's 20 foot of shoulder on Beers Mill, it looks like we'll have you know, enough room to work with. You can have like 10 feet marked off with the pylons and you still have 10 feet of shoulder to work with. I get that it's not uniform here and maybe it's, maybe the shoulder's not wide enough, but I just can't, I think you gotta go back and like look at this again. And, it, and if I were persuaded, I don't know how anybody else feels, but I just think this is not, this is not, this level of, of, you know, just sort of giving up on it, just, I just, I can't, I'm not, no. Well, I guess our options then are ask for a deferral to work with staff or alternatively, I might suggest to changing the text of condition number 12 that basically says make a financial contribution toward Oak Drive, but basically come in with a comment said, or another public project as determined by staff that would um, facilitate uh, bikeway uh, bike uh, movement so we can go back and uh, sort of look into where there is something that we can do. I'd rather not get deferred because we were really anxious to get under construction. No, I, I understand, but I, I mean, this is important. And I, I'd be open to that if we make it clear that the limitation of your responsibility is not just what is the average cost of building a 10-foot path. Because, I mean, if it were the 90th percentile of what it costs to build a charity staff, that might be a, a reasonable approach to say, you know, we're not going to say your limits of your responsibility or whatever the average cost is under typical conditions. 
that's just not because, like I say, that that would just be like get out of jail free card every yeah. time you have yeah. any difficulty presented by building. Well, as I so, said, yeah. th this wasn't us trying to get off on the cheap. We we just we didn't think it made engineering sense. No, I, I understand, yeah. I'm, but I'm I'm just concerned about the precedent that this sets. You know, we have a relatively new bike plan. We all are very focused on Vision Zero. This is a very fast road. People fly down this road. It's real. It's it's really not safe. And for me, I, I just think it's not okay to, to let it go at this. Well, then I'd amend my proposal to uh, change the text I suggested to basically say the location and the cost to be determined in discussions with staff and the appropriate transportation agencies to facilitate bike uh, movement. Safe bike, bike access in this corridor. Thank you. Can I, can I add quickly? Uh, so staff, we did research other potential CIP projects in this, this area. Uh, unfortunately, there, there really aren't any uh, similar bike or pedestrian improvements. This just seemed to be, number one, the closest, so we're looking for proximity, and number two, since this is, again, uh, I'll reiterate that this is a, a shared use path, so it's both uh, has accessibility for pedestrians as well as bikes, so it's not just a bike facility. Uh, and in fact, in this area, probably pedestrian movement is uh, perhaps the most important, especially around these, these schools. Uh, so that, that's that's why staff took this approach is that we number one needed a CIP project within the immediate proximity and number two something that would be closely no, I, I as closely approximate. I'm just saying I don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. I, I just have a question on the pictures that are showing. If uh, the bottom picture we're kind of looking to the site, we're looking to the west. Is that correct? That is correct. And then the one up, the, we're looking actually south down. Looking southbound down the hill. And in terms of that. Uh, presently, is that painted out as a bike lane, or it is not painted in, in this location? And there was an objection from the state highway to do that, or what is the width there of that shoulder? I'm uh, that travel lane is 12 feet. That shoulder is 12 feet. I I and think what the chair is suggesting, if I understood correctly, in using the Veers Mill Road example as a precedent, that. Maybe we can work with the applicant and State Highway to improve this area of frontage on Ridge Road to not necessarily expand the full 10 feet plus the swale plus yeah. the um, stormwater the management, yeah. but expand it a bit and do some sort of marking with flexible bollards or some protection so that you're using part of the shoulder with some expansion and some protection and you're creating a safer bike facility along this frontage and maybe do that plus some uh, assistance with the sidewalk that's being built because I, I don't I don't know that um, you know, well, we'll have to look at the sort of the economics of it, but I don't know that the expansion of the shoulder with a better bike marked facility uh, should should necessarily alleviate some contribution towards the sidewalk as well. We get both. Possibly, I think. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, that's exactly what I had in mind, and I think it's reasonable to ask the staff to. I would trust the staff to. Figure it out. So that was that's my proposal. Okay. 
I have one other thing that I might raise. I guess a little drafting here. Uh, just in terms of uh, the way the site layout, is the issue come up about a second access or exit from the site? Because it seems to me very circuitous. Uh, I know you have a church function, but you've got some people living. They may not all be drivers based on the age of the facility, but it seems circuitous to kind of get out of this residential area. So I did, you know, down here on the south end, just a connection. I don't, I haven't, I've been out 27. I haven't been to this site. I don't know whether it's a grade problem there. I was going to say the, the reason the existing driveway entrance with that, which that is, is circuitous is because of the grade change. So okay. It's, it's about 70 feet vertically different between the front of the, the, you know, the edge of 27 and the back side of the property. And the buildings aren't 70 feet higher than the, than the roadway, but they're in the 30, 40 foot range. And so you need a longer winding route in order to actually physically drive up that, that right. distance. I, I didn't know whether there could be a connection here. The other one was to, to uh, there's a street across the way there. Uh, Tralee or something. I couldn't quite make out the name of it. Tralee Terrace. Yeah, but is in terms of that, that uh, would, could be an access point, whether um, it would go by the existing home or, or tie yeah. into that. Uh, grades, again, an issue? Yes. Uh, the pictures that I took uh, showing the, the embankment was actually taking at Tralee Terrace, looking across the That's site, where that is. right dead right. into that hill slope. Okay. But I, I think Gwen's uh, suggestion would be, I, I would support that. Okay, fantastic. So, uh, if there's nothing else. What? Oh, okay. Uh, you had something else? Just, just to clarify. So, um, if I, if I heard correctly, we are removing condition 12 and replacing it with a revised condition that says something to the effect that the applicant must, must work with staff and other relevant agencies to accommodate safe bike access across the frontage of their property prior to certified preliminary plan. Right, and subject to negotiation over, you know, any additional financial contribution to reflect the, you know, the difference between, at a minimum, the difference between uh, whatever that uh, financial um, exaction is and what would be expected ordinarily from JV staff. But that, I think that like the average cost should be the floor, not the ceiling of their responsibility. And that uh, leaves room for the consideration of the school access sidewalk. Right, that, that contri could, a contribution could be made to that or some other CIP project if that's what you all work out. I had one other question. Just you mentioned the southwest corner. People, I don't know whether live in the neighborhood, walk to this church, but does it touch uh, pub public property? Does it, the roadway, uh, or is it? There's along the perimeter of the property, all, the, you know, there is no road that abuts the property other than Ridge Road. So we have that single family. No, houses. I know, but I, it seems that when I look at the sketch here, it seems like uh, is that both private property or is that the uh, MCDOT right away. Does it touch the right away in the back corner? It does not. The road is here, but does it touch the right away no. of the road? Yes, sir. 
It does not. Well, so that was a comment from staff was to look at, try to create an action between, I think it's Apple Cross Terrace is the roadway and the, the back corner of the property. We reached out to that but property There's owner. two private owners yeah. there, not, exactly. it's not public property. So that request street. was made and they, they denied Said, no, that request. I can understand that. It, it probably over time that somebody wants to walk through there, unless it's fenced. It's not currently fenced. Okay, all right, thank you. Yes, please. Uh, uh, just to, motion, the, uh, as amended. With yeah, the re as amended by your language there, make a motion to approve the project. Send the resolution. And the accompanying resolution. And the accompanying resolution. But the resolution needs to be modified. 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 As modified. As, as amended, yes. Okay. Okay, second that one. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. Thanks very much.
Good morning. Uh, my name is David Ansbacher. I work in the Functional Planning and Policy Division at the Planning Department. So I'm here today to provide you an update on Vision Zero, uh, the department's, Planning Department's activities with Vision Zero, and to discuss adding a Vision Zero project to the department's current fiscal year work plan. But I first wanted to introduce a couple of people. So we have Wade, in the back we have Wade Holland at County Stat. He's been leading the charge for Vision Zero for the county for the past three years. Um, we also have John Hubler, who is uh, the Department of Transportation's uh, current lead on Vision Zero. I understand that might change come Monday. There, there's going to be another employee. You all are hiring an employee. Okay. okay. So you will remain as the lead for Montgomery County Department of Transportation. Um, but I'm also really excited to introduce Jesse Cohn, who's in the audience. She's going to start working for the planning department on Monday. She's going to be uh, coordinating Vision Zero activities um, for the planning department, and she's also going to work on transit planning. So we're super excited to have her. Uh, so the agenda that I wanted to go through today is one, I just want to give you a brief, brief overview of Vision Zero in Montgomery County and sort of timelines. Um, I wanted to talk about the planning department's Vision Zero work plan. Um, our the the department's Vision Zero work items that have um, that we worked on in 2019, and then to discuss the predictive safety analysis project uh, that we'd like to add to the work program. Uh, so first, just a brief overview of uh, Montgomery uh, Vision Zero in Montgomery County. So Vision Zero is a proven approach to preventing. Um, preventing roadway-related deaths and severe injuries. It's a fundamental shift in how we conduct business. It shifts us from a primary focus on automobile mobility to considering safety for all roadway users. Um, <clears throat> and it, um, it takes the approach that we really need to be looking at our transportation system and building our transportation system to accommodate the inevitable mistakes that people are going to make when they use our transportation system so that they, um, if they make a mistake, they don't pay with their life. Um, in 2016, the county council adopted Vision Zero. In 2017, the two-year action plan was put forth. Um, my understanding is now we're working, we'll be putting forth the 2020 action plan that's sort of going to be bridging uh, a bridge from the two-year action plan to the 10-year action plan uh, that will be the focus of work over um, the course of this year. Uh, so the Vision Zero Tier Action Plan is composed of 42 actions. They're in attachment A to the staff report. Um, the planning department has two actions in, in the two-year Vision Zero Action Plan. One is developing the complete streets to, um, design guideway um, and the roadway classification study. It's a joint project that we're um, working on with MCDOT. Both agencies are co-managing the project um, to, to provide guidance on how to design and operate um, county-owned roadways for all transportation modes. So we're working towards draft guidelines right now. It's gone through a couple of reviews, um, <clears throat> but it should be to the planning board in the next couple of months, I believe. And Steve Aldrich, who couldn't be here today, um, from our staff and Dan Sheraton at MCDOT are leading that project. And then we have the pedestrian master plan. You've received briefings on that recently. Eli Glazier has launched that in 2019. So the first item I wanted to discuss um, is the department's Vision Zero work plan. Uh, Jessica McVeary and I worked on that extensively, sort of as an outgrowth 
of, of work on the Veersmo Corridor Master Plan. So I'm just gonna give you an, an overview of what that's all about. Again, it's, in, it's included in your staff report. Um, so planning staff is often asked, what is our role in Vision Zero? We don't build things, we don't enforce laws. So how do we support Vision Zero? So the four items, the four bullets on the slide here are what, how we are contributing through master planning, review of development and capital projects, data analysis and community engagement. Um, the planning department's work plan identifies the actions that the department can undertake to support the county's Vision Zero program. It includes a description of each action, justification, the resources that we either have or that are needed, um, the anticipated timeline for completion and how easy it is for us to complete. Um, I do wanna note that of course our work plan is an internal document. It's not approved by the council. It's composed of some actions that we can undertake through the course of our everyday work, uh, but it does include some actions that ultimately we probably would need the council to approve uh, as part of the department's work program. Uh, so the work plan is divided into these five sections and I'm gonna go through each of them. Um, the first section is building knowledge and collaborative partnerships. It's about engaging with the community and, and our appointed and elected officials through our everyday work, through our master planning, through um, our review of capital projects, et cetera, um, and to really develop collaborative partnerships with, with the community, with uh, officials to advance Vision Zero. Uh, so for example, the slide here is showing one example of um, something that we're working on. So develop a Vision Zero toolkit for community organizations as a way to build an understanding of Vision Zero and to provide resources for community members to advocate for Vision Zero on their behalf. So there's many subtasks, there's many things we wanna do as part of this action, but one of them is to develop a toolkit, and we're working on that right now, is we're developing a toolkit of treatments that, um, that, that can be used to advance Vision Zero. Um, they're all over the board from expensive to less expensive, uh, but it talks about what they're all about, um, crash what, how much they cost, um, how, how they can help us to reduce crashes. And so that's something that is ongoing a part, as a part of this action. Um, the second section is about problem verification, and it's intended to use data analysis and statistical analysis to better understand the causes of severe injuries and fatalities on the, the county's transportation network. Uh, it has many actions as well, but perhaps the most important is the predictive safety analysis that I'm gonna go into in a little bit. Um, once the safety challenges have been systematically identified through data collection and analysis, staff will identify engineering solutions and policy changes that address the safety challenges confronting the county. Um, so one of the actions in this section is to work on the complete streets design guide. That's ongoing again, um, but that's something that will help us to to um, develop solutions and ultimately to implement them. <clears throat> so once we fully understand the engineering solutions and policy changes that are needed, um, a lot of that work is done by other agencies, but some can be incorporated into the department's work program through master plan recommendations, regulatory review, um, and a review of capital projects. Uh, so for example, as shown on this slide, we're gonna, we would be developing um, procedures for systematically incorporating Vision Zero into master plans, um, into development projects. We do that now, but we'd have a more systematic approach to doing it. And so finally, this is um, the resource section. It summarizes uh, each of the actions that we're undertaking, the timeline that we hope to complete them by, the resources that we have or need, and the level of effort that it's gonna take to complete them. 
Uh, so the next section is to talk about the uh, department's um, work items in 2019. Um, I think whenever we talk about Vision Zero and what we're doing, it's important to acknowledge that we still have a long, long way to go. Uh, I think most of us in the room are aware that just in the last three weeks alone, we've experienced three fatalities. Um, <clears throat> but we want to assure the board that the department is fully engaged in Vision Zero, that we are working on it actively, uh, that it's, it's, we're thinking about it in all aspects of our work. So the, the projects are summarized in attachment C to, to the staff report. Um, as I previously mentioned, Jessie starts work on Monday and she's gonna be helping to coordinate the department's Vision Zero activities and to advance the actions that are included in, um, in our department's Vision Zero work plan. Um, we've completed or substantially completed a num number of planning efforts. So the Viersimo Quarter Master Plan, again, led by Jessica, uh, was, was the plan that really rethought the department's role in safety. Uh, it recommends short-term strategies to provide continuous walkways, bikeways, and to improve access to transit, um, to increase connectivity to community facilities and to other neighborhood uses. And in the long term, it envisions um, converting, transforming Beers Mill Road from a motor vehicle dominated corridor to a safe, efficient, and complete street. The Mark Rail Communities Plan led by Roberto Duke and Leslie Seville recommends speed reductions um, and a road diet along Middlebrook, Middlebrook Road adjacent to Seneca Valley High School. The Hasman Hill study, which you just saw, of course, led by Marin Hill, identifies uh, a broad range of solutions looking at specific intersection improvements or area-wide um, strategies and policies to improve safety in Aspen Hill. And then the Forest Glen Master Plan, which is working its way through the council, led by Melissa Williams, expands on the boulevard concept for Georgia Avenue that was developed in the previous plan um, to improve bicycle and pedestrian safety, accessibility, and connectivity. Um, it was the first plan to systematically use the pedestrian level of comfort um, map and analysis to make significant changes in the walk or propose significant changes in the walking environment based on objective quantifiable data. So I think this is a significant body of work um, that was undertaken in 2019. I'm really excited uh, that many of the recommendations are actively being um, advanced. I mentioned previously the Complete Streets Design Guide. Um, when completed, the guide will provide policy and design guidance to government agencies, consultants, private developers, et cetera, on how to plan, design, and operate roads so that they, uh, that they prioritize um, everyone. And then the Fire Department Access Performance Design Guide, um, <clears throat> led by Atul Sharma and Walker Freer, that you all reviewed, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. Um, addresses evolving fire department access issues and balances these requirements with the need for safe, um, safe accessibility for walking and bicycling and for natural resource um, protection. Um, additionally, the department launched the pedestrian master plan last year. The plan is going to identify strategies for making streets safer and more accessible for pedestrians. And one of the main products of this master plan is the development of the pedestrian level of comfort methodology and map, which evaluates how comfortable it is to walk along each um, sidewalk and crossing in the county. Uh, there's been a number of regulatory uh, cases throughout the county that are advancing Vision Zero uh, listed here. Um, so I think we're very proud of how, how much the department has embraced Vision Zero over the past couple of years. There's a lot more to do, do of course, 
and we're looking forward to, to working with you all. Explain regulatory, how does how do that fits in, or? Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there can be many ways. Um, just looking at the pro pro projects on the list here, the Battery Lane District is gonna be making upgrades to the Bethesda Trolley Trail and would be- the case we just heard. Yes, constructing separated bike lanes. Yeah. Uh, the case you just heard, um, the Strathmore Square is gonna be putting in a lot of bike facilities. They're gonna be funding a bike. I'm just saying the regulatory station. issue is that if it becomes a regulation in a particular area, planning no, he, area. He, no, I think he means the development application process. Yes. Okay, but as in, as uh, in the development. Broadly process. all over the county or specific areas like Battery Lane District? Uh, uh, there's projects all over the county. Um, I have a number of them listed here the most salient ones in 2019, but they'll be all over the county. Okay, all right, thank you. So the final item is to discuss um, adding a predictive safety analysis to the department's current uh, fiscal year 20 work program. Um, one of the challenges that many Vision Zero communities undertake is to transition from a safety approach that focuses on locations where high rates fatalities and severe injuries have already occurred um, to one that proactively identifies the locations with similar crash risk characteristics, but where for whatever reason crashes luckily have not occurred over the past few years. Um, this approach seeks to prevent severe injuries and fatalities on a roadway network, including again at locations without a recent history of crashes, but where the characteristics of the road environment or the land use context suggests that perhaps there are a lot of risks um, and they could be likely locations in the future where we do have severe injuries or fatalities. Um, the approach will estimate crash rates for each road segment and intersection in the county um, using statistical analysis to associate crash weeks, rates with the local characteristics of the road. So in that way, we can turn, determine those roadway characteristics that create the greatest potential for, for leading to severe injuries and fatal crashes, and we can proactively and systematically, systemically address them. We can target resources um, to improving safety where we're gonna get the most improvement for the money that we spend. Uh, so staff believes that it's necessary to in this, initiate this project in this current fiscal year as the analysis it provides is critical to guiding the projects and policy changes that are gonna be included in the, the county's 10-year Vision Zero Action Plan. The work on that, again, is gonna be starting imminently. Um, our project is described in greater detail in Attachment D. We have a work plan that we developed, and it's gonna be completed in partnership with Montgomery County Department of Transportation and with county staff and others. Um, <clears throat> and so we'll, we'll have a full team uh, of folks from different agencies. Uh, we do have a letter uh, of support from uh, Director Chris Conklin as attachment D as well. So we estimate <laughs> that this project will cost about $250,000. Uh, that's based on similar work that was conducted in Seattle. Um, the Functional Planning and Policy Division is contributing $75,000 to the project from its fiscal year 20 operating budget. We have two items in the budget that speak directly to this. Uh, an additional $125,000 has been identified through our early estimates of FY20 personnel savings, which the planning department is requesting to reallocate 
for the predictive safety analysis. Um, and the department believes that the remaining $50,000 can be identified in additional personnel savings or other budget savings in the remaining six months of, of the current fiscal year. So our recommendations are to add the predictive safety analysis to the planning department's current work program with the completion date of January 2021 to fund the predictive safety analysis by transferring $125,000 from personnel savings uh, in, our, in the department's FY20 operating budget to this project. Um, but I did want to note that the total funds needed for this project um, are $175,000. So we may need to come back uh, to request an additional $50,000 from year-end savings, depending on, on um, whether it's personnel um, or from other projects. Okay. Uh, does anybody have any questions or comments? Okay. I had a comment, if that's okay. So, I mean, I agree with you. I think we are at a crisis point. I, I don't know what's happening culturally. I know car ownership is down. Uh, millennials are more than likely not to have a car and would like to walk. We're also growing in urban areas, but we still have a car-centric kind of setup uh, from the way the county was originally developed. Uh, I have a relative in town right now, and we were crossing in downtown Bethesda, and we almost got hit by a car in place where people should be slowing down. And I was really happy to see that you've incorporated some of the stuff, especially 20 is plenty in the complete streets. I think that's gonna be a great way. But we need to think about, I think, culturally, how do we change? You know, I'm personally doing the speed limit challenge where I'm trying to drive the speed limit. And it's challenging in this area when you drive the speed limit and you're actually you're getting punked. friends that way? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of scary how many times I've been passed on a one-way road um, because I was going 35 miles per hour. So the question is, how do we, I mean, and when you're thinking about, and I'm so glad we're putting resources, but I think we need to think about how do we get to the people that need to change their behavior? You know, with community engagement, it's usually the same folks that are involved in other issues. How do we reach out to those who are super busy, who are stressed, how do we get them to change their behavior? And I think it's a combination of things in our toolkit that we should use. One of the things I had just written down here, um, so I am doing the speed limit challenge. I don't know if that could be a campaign in itself. You know, getting people to actually just slow down, putting it out there on social media, is that something that we could incorporate somehow? Um, also, one of the things that we've used that I found very helpful in our, our master plan, sector plan process is the React maps. <coughs> what if we created something where people in their communities who know that there's repeat offenders constantly driving, I mean, I hear it all the time in my own neighborhood that there's like two or three cars that just zoom down. Well, could we put a React map that basically identifies where are the problem areas, where are people speeding, have some sort of interagency coordination, whether it's putting up speed cameras, speed bumps, but at least we'll have some qualitative data that we can point to and say, hey, let's investigate this area. We're, we're getting a lot of messages in this particular corridor or neighborhood street. Um, so that's basically what I had to offer, but I think this is a good direction, and I think um, I'm glad we have some resources. I'm, I'm glad we finally have a coordinator. Um, but I do think we need to really think about reaching those people that clearly are speeding. And it's a problem. I, I think it's also problematic how we kind of frame the issue and often 
blame the pedestrians. I mean, I know there are instances where, you know, people may not be crossing the road properly, but how often do we stop at a stop sign with a complete stop? How often are we stopping at a red light before we're taking that right turn? So there's an inherent bias that I think also needs to kind of change. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree um, with a lot of what you said. Um, I think when we look at the roadway network in Montgomery County, it was designed for speed and people are responding to that. I think we've probably all been in this situation where we're driving our cars and um, the posted speed limit is 30 miles per hour and we find ourselves doing 40 or 45. Um, and it's, it's because the roadway context tells us that we can go fast and we slow down um, and we want to do the right thing, but it, it gets very difficult for people, I think, because the roadway context is really telling them that they can go faster. So we do have outreach um, efforts like the Street Smart campaign and others. I, you know, some people swear by them. I, you know, I, I'm not sure how effective they are act in actuality. Um, so there's gonna, there needs to be a lot of engineering changes. We really need to make it so that people cannot go fast. That, that the, the context, that the, the roadways tell them, make them want to slow down. Because it's hard to, you know, be thinking about the speed that I'm going, every moment that I'm driving, when the kids are in the back, when, you know, tons of things are going on. So I think that's, we, we gotta reach people, but we also have to focus on, on the engineering changes. Um, well, I, I think the React map idea is, is good for just directing the, you know, enforcement. So I know it, it seems there's no speed enforcement other than speed cameras uh, anywhere. I mean, unless you do something really egregious in addition to speeding. Um, I've never been pulled over speeding. I've gotten speed camera tickets more than I'd like to admit, but uh, very little seems like actual uh, police officers out trying to monitor speed and, and give people tickets. But I think if you, if it were uh, practical to get some, you know, crowdsourced information about where are the places <coughs> that people are having problems with, uh, with speeding in their neighborhoods, that might be a good way to focus attention. And maybe even for a speed camera, but at, but at least some kind of, you know, enforcement campaign to try to get people to take Okay, it. we can look into that. Gary. Uh, yeah, a few comments. I want to express my support for Vision Zero program. Uh, I guess I made the argument last time for more uh, direct connection with uh, implementation. And certainly the new head of MCDOT and then uh, our friends at uh, State Highway and now Tran Department of Transportation can be very helpful. But uh, at one time we had a plan to access Metro as when I was director and we did you know, I could, Woodmont, Tuckerman, Marinelli, Executive Boulevard, Shady Grove Road, et cetera, et cetera, to get there. And I do come on Vias Mill Road, and it's difficult to drive the posted speed. And traffic is going 50, 55 miles an hour uh, towards, uh, you know, towards that, you know, the area of downtown Wheaton, et cetera. So I think that's an issue. But uh, I, I think there needs. I raised this issue about Aspen Hill. You did a great job with that. You got people out there. And I just saw that if the council is committed, and I don't see that MCDOT would have any objection, but just 
kind of put together a CIP project that says, okay, we've got everybody out in the community. These are the, some of the things that we've identified, and we have a project that can make those improvements. And it becomes a laboratory where what works or what doesn't work. But again, the, the approach that we had, we had capital projects uh, for constructing roads, and the standard I, I know has changed. I would say less than 20% uh, of the people come to a complete stop at a stop sign or uh, right turn on red. But again, I think there needs to be that better connection on the implementation. And uh, like we had, what we introduced was, and again, it, to me, my approach was implement what is planned. If you're planning something, uh, you know, the other side, the state and the MCDOT should be in a position to have the money to implement it. They can make a judgment on what's the priority, but I don't see a concomitant uh, maybe I'm not that familiar with the CIP program, but I don't know whether there's projects to do some of these, but you would target, say, Beers Mill Road. There would be a CIP for a Vision Zero implementation on that and would get done over, you know, a sh shorter period of time. Uh, and just simple things. I went to the Vision Zero meeting and somebody approached me and they made the comment they have a child with disability and crossing uh, Cedar Lane, which is an extension in Kensington, an extension of Summit. And I went out to that area. This is Dresden Street, Cedar Lane. There's a beautiful crosswalk system that's laid there, but it's three legs of a four-legged intersection. And when I look at the bus stops, uh, the northbound is far side and the southbound is near side. But where the two bus stops are, there's no crosswalk. So, you know, a pedestrian is not going to go three, three ways around. They're going to cross uh, where it says, you know, the bus stops are. So I think it's just looking at that, the transit element group and the traffic group kind of working together. And I think, again, when you're looking at putting in a bus stop, immediately decision should be to look at a crosswalk or based on the volume looking at a signal, and that should be, part, be funded for, through a CFP project. I think that's something that, that needs to be, be looked at. So I, I can respond to that. So um, first of all, Steve Aldrich is going to be bringing the CIP to you on, CIP to you on February 4th, 6th. Yeah. So you'll get a chance to review that in two weeks. Um, but there are, there are funding programs. There's um, the Bicycle and Pedestrian Priority Areas right. Program, BIPA. There's, um, that's investing in places like Silver Spring and Bethesda. There is a Beers Mill Road um, Bicycle and Pedestrian Priority Area Program, funding program for the Purple Line stations as well. Uh, those tend to be a lot faster implementation. So a lot of the, the bikeway improvements that you see in Silver Spring were built through that. And a lot of things that you see going forward are coming from those programs. So are you comfortable that, or there should be a, a CIP project for Vision Zero in certain areas or not? I think that's going to be a part of the discussion on the 6th, if we okay. can have that discussion then. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a way of concerning. You get you have people concerned about this, as I say, and I mentioned that the last time about Aspen Hill, but when are, you going, when are they going to see something? And, right. you know, the, whether that's, if people are sincere about implementing this would be my concern. So. Yes. Anyway, just a few comments on it. If I could, Jason Sartori for the yeah. record. I think what you'll find is that the Vision Zero concepts are incorporated in a lot of the different CIP uh, projects. But 
I think what's great about this predictive safety analysis, and one piece that you know where I'm kind of energized about this is that it will help us. It will help the county be able to better prioritize uh, the, our, our CIP projects or our, our master plan recommendations. To not only be able to say that a particular project is related to Vision Zero because it addresses pedestrian or bicyclist safety, but to be able to prioritize within those to see which ones are, are, are getting at our higher risk um, intersections or roads, uh, where we may not have even seen a crash that led to a severe, fa uh, a severe injury or fatality yet, uh, to be able to identify those proactively, uh, which is really, I think, uh, the, you know, what makes this uh, such an exciting project. But you, the other thing too is, uh, in terms of the, the transit, util utilization of transit, uh, from a moving traffic standpoint, far side bus stops are, uh, had been used, and the idea it allows a right turn on red or something like that. Or it, so again, I see people when I look at Randolph and Beers Mill Road, they have if there's a far side bus stop, they get off the front of the bus and they walk around the front of the bus and then they cross the street. They won't go to the rear of the bus where the crosswalk is. So again, judgment on that placement of that. Yes, it does facilitate traffic, but on the other hand, it encourages people not to use the crosswalk. So those are things that comprehensively looking at the bus stops and where people cross. And uh, is someone maintaining a record of wh uh, why a person was hit at a particular area? Does that go into a database? There are crash reports and there's analysis that's conducted as part of that. Um, but does, when you see like three or four of those coming up, there needs some physical action needed to be taken. Right, so if we, we the county, the, um, the two-year action plan identified 20 hotspots, 10 on county roads, 10 okay. on state highways, uh, where we have seen a lot of crashes over the past five or six years. Um, and so yes, so that is being looked at and that the, the hotspot areas have been the focus okay. of the past few years. Great, sounds good. Okay, could we get a motion to approve this um, funding request for transferring $125,000 uh, within the planning departments? I would uh, make a motion so moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. Thank we'll you. look forward to talking more about this at the CIP discussion coming up.
Good morning. How are you today? Great. Well, I have uh, with me today, I'm Carl Morgan, CIP manager for Montgomery Parks. For the record, I have with me Phil Gallegos. He's our uh, new assistant CIP manager. Um, I also have a lot of people in the audience behind me and some people that aren't here that have helped us uh, this week a lot with a number of items. Uh, there's, uh, as, I, as I mentioned last week, as I was sitting before the board on uh, the issue of the legacy urban space, we also had, were getting the first uh, glimpses of what the county executive recommended in his version of the FY21 to 26 CIP. So uh, we're here to um, give you a summary uh, of that and, and identify what some of the impacts are. So for today, I'm gonna just give a quick overview of the highlights, uh, addressing some uh, recommended, or actually these are recommended, staff recommendations for what we're calling non-recommended reductions. So <laughs> I should have probably changed the wording of that a little bit. And then uh, seeking guidance as to which, um, what kind of information or feedback you'd like us to send to the council. Um, so where are we right now in the uh, CIP process? Uh, as you recall, in November, we sent over the department's uh, version uh, approved by the board for the parks CIP. Um, and then last week, or the week before, it was on January 15th anyway, it, uh, the county executive released uh, his version of the CIP and transmitted that to the council. And um, so that's the point where we're at now. Uh, this will be uh, an, a lead into some public hearings that the county council will be holding at the beginning of February. And then the council will start its committee discussions at the end of February. Uh, the full council will then review the committee's in, uh, recommendations in either late February or March. And then the full council will look at the FY21 capital budget as well as the operating budget and the entire CIP in May. So in a nutshell, what did the county executive recommend? Well, he uh, started with some reductions, about $18.1 million, in fact. Um, and they are defined by funding source. Our, he first identified $15.8 million of cuts in uh, general obligation bonds that the county issues. Um, just to put it in perspective, we, as a, the, the, depart, the department's submission of November 1st includes um, $80.8 million, and it was about $72 million that's in the approved CIP. Um, this is spread out among 35 different CIP projects, um, a handful of which are already uh, in, were already delayed by our actions into the, what they call the beyond six years or fiscal year 27 and beyond. Um, this reduction uh, represents a 20% reduction, uh, reduction request represents a 20% reduction to what the board sent over. Um, the current revenue, that's basically cash that comes into the county and uh, the county executive's request is to reduce that by $2.3 million. Um, again, our November submission included $28.7 million, and that was split out among 15 different CIP projects, so this represents an 8% reduction. Um, because of other funding sources that are in the CIP uh, and, and such, we, the, the, what we sent over was uh, $253 million, and um, this overall 
reduction uh, to the CIP is about 7%. Um, there's also an addition uh, of, it's a deferred discussion. The, the county executive has not made a recommendation on one part of our CIP and uh, wanted to um, hold those discussions in March or April when the council is considering the operating budget and that's with regard to the community use of public facilities funding that has been funding our uh, ball field renovations at school sites. So uh, we'll keep in touch with regard to uh, anything that happens there. That currently is in our, in our current CIP, we transmitted over a request for $3.6 million to continue that work. So we'll stay tuned on that one. So how does the county executive express this in the budget? Well, um, as you recall, each, each project in the CIP has a project description form in Montgomery County budget lingo with the government and with our, which we've also had to adopt here at the commission is a PDF, a project description form. But um, what the county executive has done here is he's included in his recommendations one more project description form. And that's uh, this one here that I've taken a screen capture of the top of it so we can focus a little bit. This is the one table that I'll show you. So um, we'll have to tolerate a table just for a moment here. But I did want to highlight uh, that in this CIP project, um, it's considered a temporary project because ultimately when the council approves the final version of the budget, Either all of these uh, reductions listed here have been addressed or the council has decided to go otherwise and, um, and take a different direction. So ultimately what happens is that the final version of the council's uh, approved CIP, they take this, uh, this uh, project description form out. But um, what this does is that it leaves all of our other project description forms in our version of the CIP intact and in place, but then adds this one. So it puts us in a position where we have to identify these uh, reductions. Uh, so if we were to meet the county executive's full reductions, it would impact you know X number of projects and X number of dollars. You can see if you'll uh, just uh, look down at the bottom of this, um, table, the funding schedule table that I've highlighted are in red. Um, you can see that there are the two funding sources here of GO bonds and current revenue. You can see the total amount uh, for the six years that I just reported on the other slide. But I just, the main reason why I wanted to show you this was that the county executive's recommendation has specific targets, not only overall during the six years, but by fiscal year as well. So it's, it, it, it creates an interesting uh, puzzle piece for us as we shift things around to try to see what impacts are and what can backfills and other things like that. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to focus first on the current revenue because that component is actually fairly straightforward. Again, the affordability PDF uh, suggests that we should be reducing current revenue by $2.3 million in the uh, CIP. And basically, it appears the way they got to that number was they looked at uh, pro capital projects that we in requested increases in current revenue, and they just said, don't give them the increase. And so that comes out to the $2.3 million. Those two projects were uh, the minor new construction non-local 
capital project as well as historic uh, structures, our restoration of historic structures. One of the things that I did want to point out in uh, minor new construction on local is that in our current approved CIP, just by virtue of uh, the the way that the PDF was laid out there, we currently are actually making a, a, a significant increase already uh, from $1.7 million to $2.3 million, so it's about $650,000. So but from we other were asking fun, but for from a other bit, funding sources, you mean? Pardon? Other funding sources. Of the current revenue. The, the rest of the increases from like geobonds or no, so what, what we had was uh, we took the FY19 to 24 CIP and in the version of the 21 to 26 that we sent over in November, we also saw a need to increase the $2.3 million up a little bit. They brought us back down to the $2.3 million, but I wanted to point out that fiscal year 20 was at 1.7. So even with their suggested reduction, we're still getting an increase in that one particular capital project. So. Uh, and then the restoration of historic structures um, was uh, currently funded at about $450,000 per year, and we were looking at increasing it to five hundred, dollars and then in the outer years all the way up to $850,000. So um, that will take some uh, creative looking at the work program there for that. Um, when it comes down to it, though, that I think that this could have been worse, particularly considering uh, the numbers that are coming back to the council in terms of actual current revenue coming through um, the various uh, sources there. So our recommendation is that we would identify those increases as the, uh, and, and not receiving those increases as the non-recommended reductions for current revenue. On to the other funding source, GEO bonds. Again, this was the largest uh, portion on the affordability PDF. Um, the county executive requested a reduction of $15.8 million. And uh, again, our November 1st transmittal included $80 million overall with 35 CIP projects. So that, again, I mentioned this is a 20% reduction. So how did we, how do we approach it? Well. Looking at the, uh, in our discussions with you all over the, the CIP season, uh, looking at the CIP evaluation uh, criteria and strategy that, that, that was the foundation of all of our CIP discussions, and then um, just looking at the nuances of uh, our projects, we um, first started uh, by determining that we would hold off on doing any cuts or reductions to our level of effort projects and try to hold them as harmless as much as possible. So that means taking a look at our um, standalone projects and seeing how we can kind of shift budgets around or make reductions within those. There are certain projects of our standalone projects, certain standalone projects that uh, we, we identified at the beginning as well. Uh, these are projects that either are under in process with uh, contracts in place, uh, notice to proceeds, et cetera, um, as well as projects that are leveraging either state or federal funds. So this includes Josiah Henson, North Branch Trail, the Black Hill Seed Classroom, although we did reduce that cost a little bit. Uh, Ovid Hazen Wells, and that's the design portion. Um, these projects altogether, uh, 
total around um, $1.6 million of GEO bonds that we felt were, were not in a position to cut. And they primarily happen, all of it except for $72,000 happens in the very first year of the CIP. Um, that number is significant because um, amid all of our efforts, this is a spoiler alert to the next slide, amid all of our efforts to use uh, standalones, we still were not able to meet the necessary reduction there. So we did have to look at uh, a, a level of effort project. Um, when we, uh, looking at those projects that uh, were the, uh, these that I mentioned before, I've kind of been calling through the process are untouchables. When you look at those untouchables, you take out the level of efforts and then other projects that are already, there's a hand, small handful of projects that we've already delayed to the beyond six years as part of our November 1st uh, submission. So the remaining projects that were those basically at play included Brookside Gardens Master Plan. Now these are in alphabetical order right now. Brookside Gardens Master Plan, Little Bennett Regional Park Day Use Area, Ovid Hazenwell's Recreational Park, the construction component, South Germantown Recreational Park's Cricket Field, and then the Wheaton Regional Park improvements. So we've been looking at uh, ways to uh, revise scope on Wheaton Regional Park. Uh, we will, I'll be showing you on the next slide where, where what we've done with each of these, uh, as well as at uh, some of our larger projects. We've been trying to figure out if there's a way to reduce the budgets on those, as well as uh, consider reallocating funds by fiscal year. Um, that uh, level of effort that we uh, looked at, um, we determined that legacy open space would be that um, level of effort that would take the brunt of that $1.6 million. Um, one of the options that we looked at with that was that uh, there also is, by virtue of a delay of some of the projects, some of the projects had uh, program open space tied to them. And so we could, as projects are delayed that had that program open space that also gave up program open space capacity back to us that we could could uh, program in. Originally I wanted to program uh, that backfill the legacy open space hits there with this uh, POS funding. Um, in talking with our uh, acquisition manager, um, we still would like to take a million dollars of that in fiscal year 22, but instead put it in the acquisition local parks um, capital project because it's a little more useful right there, right now. So that it's in the acquisition program, it's still fluid in there, but it would be um, sitting there as a compensation instead. So <clears throat> when we're looking at the, uh, again, I mentioned we oh, consider. So, oh, sure. Uh, how are you going to, you said when you went through all the CFP standalone projects, you still didn't come up with enough money. So how did you come up with the, what was it, two million? Yeah, it was 1.63. So where's that gap being made up? Pardon? Where's that gap being made up? That gap is being made up with uh, reductions in the legacy open space PDF. So the funding in, it, most of it is in fiscal year 21, is being uh, delayed through the to the beyond six year column to keep the thing balanced. Right, so as part of our scenario in making those reductions for 
pretty much kind of a temporary holding place. We were thinking we would take the additional capacity that we had in program open space and also applying that into legacy open I, space. I get it. I'm sorry. Yeah, but it kind of compensates the cut. It just changes the funding source. Yep. So, Got um, but we, we uh, upon further discussion with our acquisition manager, it, she felt that it was more useful to the department if that program open space was actually applied to acquisition non-local parks. Right, I follow you. Sorry, I'm just, I was confused. Thank you. So when we were looking at the projects that were at play, uh, we, we went through um, all of the feedback that we received. Um, I've had a lot of discussions, not only with my staff, with Bill and I, with our chief. We had other meetings with our uh, deputy director, our, all of our parks director, and then even a briefing with our uh, planning board chair. So we've gotten lots of feedback along the steps as we've been kind of trying to figure out the priorities and putting things together. And um, based on that feedback and all of the other foundation work we've done over the past year, uh, we put the, the projects at play in a priority order. And basically what that means is that we've identified where these hits are and if if the council, if we are successful in advocating any of the funding back through this CIP work with the council and through the work of our advocates who will, we have a number of advocates I, I understand that are already signed up to uh, give uh, testimony at the first week in February on our behalf. And so uh, as, as the council, if they're willing to put funding back, we will put them back to projects in the order that I'm about to list them on this slide. And uh, first of all, <clears throat> South Germantown Recreational Park Cricket Field. Now, I, I identified this as no delay, but the reason why it's on the list as an impacted project is because we did also, uh, in order to s save some of the projects and not delay them, we did some projects that had program, that did not have program open space, we've applied some of the available capacity. Again, as we're moving the project, one of the projects you'll see was a major project that had uh, program open space that got moved out, so that freed up this POS. Correct. Because they this had is, the grand this opening the and ex this is being expanded. Right. Second field, right. So, so as funding is, becomes available, we would consider uh, also exchanging some of the POS out as an option but I wanted to list that as a, a change as well to, to what we sent over in November. Wheaton Regional Park Improvements Project. Um, again, we've been able to actually not delay this project. Uh, a little bit of program open space was applied. As you recall, this was put at the very end of the CIP uh, with some of the capacity we had there earlier or we were, that we were anticipating. Um, there was also some discussion too about the need to um, in include uh, in the scope of the project description form consideration of bike and pedestrian improvements that would not only help within the regional park but also make connections into Brookside Gardens. And so this is an opportunity that we could use uh, to do that. Um, as you recall, um, one of the reasons why this project is at the end of the CIP was not only because of capacity reasons, but we also have a park master plan that will be opened up and looked at. We're, we're beginning that right now. And um, so we would like to be able to address um, the configurations and the recommendations of this park master plan process and then redefine the project a little bit more. So 
right now, the regional park improvements project that the board um, approved a facility plan for was focused primarily on improvements around the Shorefield area of the near the uh, playground. And um, so what we would like to do is be able to make this scope a little more general, keep the funding in place, and then as in the next CIP, as we have more information coming out of the, um, the park master plan update, then we will probably modify this project description form a little bit more to maintain consistency. Uh, bike racks along the, in the Par Wheaton Regional? Um, everything's under consideration at this point. I, because of the park master plan is at the, its infancy right now, that, that there, I don't have any recommendations. All right, I had raised that very early about just being able to, if you can walk or drive, bike, and then lock up your bike so you can enjoy the facilities. Right, it's, yeah. the, it's that kind of use that we okay. hope that, right. that this right. additional language yeah. would allow us to consider those kinds of improvements. Um, the next project is the Ovid Hayes and Wells Recreation Park. Um, this, uh, under this scenario that we are putting forward to you, this would delay construction uh, by two years. Now, I mentioned that in the, un kind of in the untouchables I was talking about, the design is actually underway. There was a notice to proceed in November issued for the design work of that. And that was to look at the entire park and all of the components um, now with a reduced scope here, we, we are um, still going forward with our design, and, um, but we will be identifying which components of the park we could do under this revised budget versus not. So in addition to delaying the construction two years, um, there's also uh, an application of some of that additional POS uh, capacity I mentioned earlier. And then, um, as you recall, in our current in our current FY19 to 24 CIP, this project has a budget in the six years of 5.3 million dollars. And in that beyond six years uh, column, uh, was an additional three million dollars. So it's an 8.3 million dollar project altogether. And that was what we were while while the current CIP is only funded at a reduced level. We of course at the time. CIP was approved, anticipated that ultimately the full amount would come in. So that's why currently the design is work is being done for um, this whole first phase. And the, the uses that are being considered in that are uses that would create a synergy and a group of activities that then could support the ultimate um, transfer of or move, move of the carousel that's in currently in Wheaton and place it in Ovid Hayson Wells Recreational Park. Now, um, you know, at a reduced budget where everything's gonna be kind of, we're gonna be taking a fresh look at everything and um, some of the, the approaches that we may end up having to take might even be delaying the, uh, the uh, move of the carousel. Um, anything that we do at the park here, however, will be part of that group of synergistic activities that then uh, provide support for a future carousel. So we are working towards, even today, towards moving a carousel. Uh, these reductions and things might affect how quickly we can make that carousel move. 
Um, another project, Brookside Gardens Master Plan Implementation, the next phase of this project uh, had about $1.7 million. Uh, $1.4 million of it was geo bonds. Um, this, uh, these delays would, uh, or reductions would delay $250,000 of the first year and push it back just one year. Um, also, another component of the Brookside Gardens Master Plan is that there is um, some uh, contributions funding that could continue on. Uh, if we wanted to, we could keep that funding uh, tied to fiscal year 22, so if, if the contributions came in and they wanted to keep moving, they could. Uh, but when it comes to the geo bonds, for sure, this would uh, approach here would delay that $250,000 of geo bonds one year from fiscal year 22 to 23. Um, lastly, uh, Little Bennett Day Regional Park Day Use Area. Now, uh, looking at all of these projects, you'll see that there are uh, several significant, a few significant projects in the Up County. And while we have been um, working for many years towards all of these, um, and it's with a you know a, a great deal of uh, discomfort, frankly, for me as a staff person who's been working several years on all of these, it's always hard to um, be okay with reducing and moving things back that have been in the works. Um, however, we are coming towards uh, you with a recommendation here in uh, reducing Little Bennett's um, work in the CIP, and that would be delaying all of our construction five years to the uh, beyond six years column, and that means FY27 and beyond. Again, this is a, an affordability measure, and it was, as we're looking at all of the evaluation criteria that we were looking at, uh, I mentioned before, as well as where the projects are located. You know, we have three large projects here in the Up County, and um, I, they're just, in these times of austerity, there's just limited capacity to do all of them. Uh, they're all important, wonderful projects, and so it's with my personal regret that I'll say that we're putting this project here, but it is a recommendation nonetheless. And lastly, I've already explained the legacy open space situation. That was, we had to dip into uh, a, a level of effort to meet those, um, the, the full cut. So uh, that's what we're, that's what we've identified would be the, the hits to our geo bond funded program. And um, again, the recommendation to you all would be to transmit these as non-recommended reductions with a strong emphasis on the non-recommended that um, the, we feel that all these projects that we sent over in November are highly justified. Um, it's not the full world of projects that we sent over in November as well. There certainly a, is a backlog of projects throughout the entire park system and that we've identified as candidate projects in our CIP. And, uh, but uh, this is our uh, recommendation to you all with regard to geo bonds and then the prior recommendation of current revenue. So interested to see what you all think or have to say. Any additions or insights? I had a general question about Brookside. I know there's been some challenges with pedestrian connections there. Uh, with, with what you're proposing, how does that work? Are we still gonna be able to do the improvements or is there, are we set up to at least incorporate that at this point? 
Um, that is certainly on the, the radar screen. With this particular project, it was focused on some other uh, portions of the park that included some ADA improvements and uh, um, other things. Uh, again, as I mentioned, the regional park master plan for Wheaton will be also looking at bicycle and pedestrian improvements. And um, in terms of making those connections, that certainly will be picked up in that exercise. I mean, it's an important thing. I know as Brookside, at least, at least as we increase programming there and it gets more and more popular, we've already heard all sorts of uh, feedback from folks when they are trying to get to the garden. And I think it's something that we should definitely incorporate moving forward. Um, yeah, I, again, this uh, initial scope included um, ADA improvements and uh, some the reconfiguration of the, the path network around through the formal gardens. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that it also included some uh, work to the maintenance yard. And um, so these are all things that are supporting the existence of, of Brookside Gardens. Um, but again, we've, we're hearing the feedback on the need for that. We're trying to incorporate that where we can. Mike Committee and Mike yourself have any comments? Thank you, Commissioner CG. Mitty Figueredo, Deputy Director, um, for the record. Um, Director Riley is at the Montgomery County Council this morning, so he wasn't able to attend. Um, I don't have anything to add unless you all have specific questions to what um, Carl has presented this morning. Okay, thank you. Okay, so could we get a rec, um, motion to transmit the list of non-recommended reductions described by the staff this morning? Uh, as moved. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. All right, thank you. And we much. begin the unpleasantness of the budget season yes. in earnest. So we will, uh, in terms of, I've already gone over what those next steps are in the prior slide, but we will be summarizing not only these comments here, but also last week's action on the new PDF for legacy urban space. So we'll be transmitting that this week to the uh, council. Thanks.
Create a motion to go into closed session and discuss the acquisition of real property. Motion for closed session. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. We're going upstairs.